Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today we're going to be talking about origin of Alexandria. Who was he? What did he believe? And why is he important? Origen lived from about 180 AD to about 250 AD, and in his lifetime he really became renowned as an influential teacher, an influential writer, and a lot of his doctrines, a lot of his teachings became mainstream Christianity. One thing he did that Christians should be aware of is that he really merged Neoplatonic thought with Christian doctrine. He was one of the originators of this method of interpreting the Bible. So we got an early Christian critic, Pulfrey, and he writes about Origen. Some persons desiring to find a solution to the baseness of Jewish scriptures rather than abandon them have had recourse to explanations inconsistent and incongruous with the words written. Which explanations, instead of supplying a defense of foreigners, contain rather approval and praise of themselves? For they boast that the plain words of Moses are enigmas, and regard them as oracles full of hidden mysteries, and having a bewildered and mental judgment by following, they make their explanations. And so what is Pulfrey saying here? He's saying that there are a class of philosophers who take the works of Moses, meaning the Old Testament, and then try to draw out these mysterious meanings from them, this, these spiritual meanings, and try to claim that the texts are more intelligent or more more symbolic than at face value. And he really disdains this type of interpretive method. And this type of interpretive method you'll see also in the likes of Phil of Alexandria. Phil of Alexandria, he also did a lot of this where he takes the text and he kind of rejects the text. He says, the text doesn't mean what it says. Instead, it has a symbolic and spiritual meaning. And Origen does this, and we see this in Origen, especially in his treatment of the Garden of Eden scenario. In Origen's theology, the Garden of Eden just, it did not happen. Instead, the Garden of Eden is an account which kind of tells us about the fall from perfection of these spirit beings. And these spirit beings are given bodies. You don't directly find that in the text, but he says that is what the text is describing is this the animal bodies that the human beings have were not given till after the fall and so he didn't believe per se that adam was walking around eating things and doing things no because in origins theology the fall is when something falls from a more spiritual harmonious state into something more material and base so back to pulfrey he writes as an example of this absurdity, take a man whom I met when I was young, and who was then greatly celebrated and still is, on account of the writings which he has left. I refer to Origen, who is highly honored by his teachers of these doctrines. For this man, having been a student of Ammonius, this is Ammonius Isactus, who had attained the greatest proficiency in philosophy of any in our day, derived much benefit from his teacher in the knowledge of the sciences, but as to the correct choice of life, he pursued a course opposite to his. For Ammonius, being a Christian and brought up by Christian parents, when he gave himself to study and to philosophy, straightway conformed to the life required by the laws. That means he straightway converted to philosophy rather than Christianity. But Origen, having been educated as a Greek in a Greek literature, went over to barbarian recklessness. Barbarian recklessness, he's referring to Christianity. 
and carrying over the learning which he had obtained, he hawked it about, and in his life conducted himself as a Christian and contrary to the laws. But in his opinions of the material things and of the deity being like a Greek, and mingled with Grecian teachings with foreign fables, and so the Grecian teachings are the teachings of Plato and Aristotle. For he was continually studying Plato, and he busied himself with the writings of Numius and Cronius, Apollophanes, Longius, Moderatus, and Nicomachus, and those famous among the Pythagoreans, and he used the books of Cerimon, the Stoic, and of Cornutus, becoming acquainted through them, and with figurative interpretation of the Grecian mysteries, he applied it to Jewish scriptures. So again, this is Pulfrey, and he's writing about Origen. And to Pulfrey, Origen is a poser. Origen was born Christian, but learned all the Greek ideas from the great Ammonius Soctus. And then he took these ideas, and he started peddling them around as if they were Christianity. And to Pulfrey, Origen's a fraud. Some Christians try to discount what Pulfrey says about Origen. They say, Oh, there are two origins, and Pulfrey was just confused about which origin there was. And then they say there are two Ammoniuses, and uh, one of them was the Christian, and one was the pagan, and just Pulfrey's all confused. But when you read the works of Origen, it doesn't read that way. Instead, Origen echoes the same types of philosophy that Plotinus does. And Plotinus was also a student of Ammonius Sactus, and when you read them, it's all about the same stuff. It's all about this perfect perfection by which beings fell, and these beings have to return to that perfect perfection. You know, the standard Platonic philosophy, and that's what Origen writes about. Even more curious, Eusebius, a Christian historian, he tries to claim that Ammonius Sactus remained a Christian throughout his entire life. And he quotes these texts that Ammonius was supposed to write, some sort of harmony with Moses and Plato, something like that. But Ammonius didn't write any works. So Eusebius has been had, either by a fraud or by a different Ammonius. Probably by a fraud, a lot of people like to write books and put it in the names of people who were famous, and then they're able to sell the books better. It's an easy thing to do, and we have a lot of accounts of that happening throughout the ancient world. Even within the ranks of Christianity, people claiming letters by Paul. Ammonius was much like Plotinus, his student. And he believed that communication, the words, are what were important. And the bond between the student and the teacher was what was important. Plotinus also believed this. And so Plotinus did a lot of lectures. And it wasn't until his students collected and compiled notes about the lectures that there were any written works by Plotinus. So very easily, the entire world could have no record of Plotinus' teachings, even though he was a great and influential teacher that was world-renowned. So Origen, Origen was famous, world-famous, and highly respected. He was kicked out of uh, Alexandria because of the jealousy of the bishops that they had for him. He's just really well-respected. Even the pagans sent their kids to him to be taught. And so Origen really had an influential effect on all of Christianity. And when he takes these ideas from Ammonius, these Neoplatonic ideas, and we see that he incorporates them into Christianity, and he does exactly what Pulfrey writes that he does. And he merges the two doctrines. He merges Neoplatonic thought 
in Christianity. He spiritualizes the texts of the Old Testament such that those texts can fit this system of theology that he builds around Neoplatonic ideas. So what we have in Origen is a pre-Augustinian attempt to merge Neoplatonic thought with Christianity. And this is important because it kind of tells us about the atmosphere of this age, of the first couple centuries A.D. Neoplatonic thought was vogue. People came up with these theories on how to merge ideas that came down from Plato with other ideas that were floating around. They were merged with Greek ideas of Homer and the Iliad. And they were also merged with the Bible. Neoplatonic Christianity did not begin with Augustine. It didn't even begin with Origen. It began way earlier than that. We see hints of that in the writings of Paul that, you know, already by the time of Paul, that by the time he was preaching, these Platonic thoughts were infiltrating the church. And what Origen gives us is a data point in that continuum. And so what this gives open theists is ammunition to say, that when people start quoting church fathers about what is acceptable theology and what is not, they're usually quoting these Greek Christians, these Christians from Egypt, these Alexandrian Christians that are steeped in this Neoplatonic thought. And so you could kind of discount what they say or take it with a grain of salt, especially when they have these weird beliefs that try to override the text of the Bible. And that really needs to be pointed out that you know, these people rejected the Bible. They think the Bible is silly, and they had to reinterpret the Bible in light of this spiritualistic sense. And you see the exact same stuff coming from Augustine of Hippo. And Origen, in a way, acted as a mentor or a spiritual mentor of Augustine, and a lot of the same ideas in Origen are also found in Augustine. So, what was Origen's philosophy? What was his theology? So Origen was under the idea that God was this eternal perfection. As an eternal perfection, God cannot change. God did not have parts. God was just perfectly immutable and timeless. And from God spawns these intellects. And these intellects are beings that are homogeneous. Because if they were not homogeneous, then there would be differences between things, and God would have created an imperfect creation. And so these intellects, they're homogeneous, but they're each given free will. And the free will of the intellects decide how far from God that they fall. The ones who reject God more, they fall more. And this falling away, it kind of spawns the material world. So these intellects are creating the material world in their rejection of God. And this fits with Origen's idea of what the fall was in Genesis 3. He thinks that Adam and Eve, they, that's not a real story. Uh, instead, these are spiritual beings, and these spiritual beings are falling. And the fall is actually incorporating bodily senses and getting an animal body. An animal body is the idea that, that is used throughout Origen and Augustine that man is given this animal body, and original sin is not the idea that there's this sin element that's passed down through the bodies, but the sin element is the bodies. The souls are sinful. And the soul in Origen's theology is this lifeblood of this animals. All animals have souls, and all souls are a falling away of perfection.
perfection. And man gets this soul body and he has babies and has more soul babies. But all these soul babies, just by the nature of being a soul body, is evil. It's in perfection. And the only way that these soul bodies can reattain to enlightenment is to be animated by a spirit or animated by an intellect in order to return to from which it fell. So these intellects, they at first are homogeneous, but then they choose to rebel. And depending on their rebellion, decides how far away the physical world is from God. And there's these different states of how far away things are from God. And what Origen writes about is this creature called the animal man. And this is a being that has fallen so far away from perfection that it cannot be it cannot be evangelized. It cannot be given any spiritual thing. It is just dead. This is total depravity in the Calvinistic sense. That these animals, they are so pushed away that a spirit being cannot talk to them. And as such, he kind of draws on these texts from the New Testament where, you know, people say, oh, this is foolishness to the Greeks, or, or they just don't understand the spiritual things. And he says that these are just dead people. These are soulish creatures without any spiritual essence. And we should just give them up and abandon them because there is no hope in evangelizing these people. But there are people with the spark of the divine in them that we can reach, that we can get to. And these people, we teach Christ and Christ crucified and the Holy Spirit and to repent of sins. The repenting of sins, this is a purification process. The more that people care about the fleshly body and the fleshly things, the farther away that they choose to go from God. And to origin, there are different types of Christians. There were the spiritual Christians, and then there were the physically-based Christians. And origin didn't say that the physically-based Christians, the Christians that think that there's going to be some sort of bodily resurrection, this resurrection where we're going to eat and drink and do stuff and enter into the kingdom of God and have banquets. He thought that those people were kind of just foolish. But in his philosophy, that once these Christians die, the spiritual Christians would automatically ascend to the higher realm but these more base christians these christians who believed in sort of this world after this world that they'd be living in that's kind of equivalent to this world he thought that those people would be given some sort of primer class in which they are explained meanings of more spiritual things that they missed because they were too based on the here and now the world and so these christians would be taught the spiritual meanings of these texts, and that would allow them then again to transcend into the higher spheres of being. And the ultimate goal, of course, was for the soul and the intellect to reemerge into one, reemerge into God, the immutable, unchangeable uh, perfection. Because all things spawned from him and came down in this dissension to create the world, and all things, by, by cycle, by a cyclical nature, would return to God and reincorporate themselves in God. And in Origen's theology, the world was a series of cycles. There were a lot of these descents where the entire universe is created, and there's a lot of these reemergences into the one, where everything comes back to perfection. And then again, it, it cycles. It goes again where a new world is created, and everything 
it descends and creates the material world and that everything returns to the one and there's all these different cycles and we're just part of an internal cycle that continues doing this so in origins theology often people call him a universal reconcilius he thought that everyone would be saved that's not entirely true he thought that all beings eventually by nature of being a being would go through these cycles where they would get taught and ascend to higher cycles until they would return to the one so even though people could be evil and be sent to a lower hell they could be taught again and that substance whatever they are could ascend back into the one and because god is omnipotent uh, origin's idea was that everything that exists must exist because if anything more existed than what exists then God wouldn't have been omnipotent in the first place because he wouldn't have had control over everything that does exist. There's something they're adding to that omnipotence. And so the entire world is by necessary exists. And nothing can be created and nothing can be destroyed. But everything that flows through the cyclical nature and comes back into the one, back into God, back into perfection, and then descends again into the world. So hell then acted as another training exercise for the descended souls, the descended material world, in order to reclaim it, to reform it, and to bring it again into the one. So all material, depending on how far it has fallen from God, that just kind of determines its status in the world. But that material would eventually descend, it might descend further, based on free will actions but eventually it's going to have to return so it's just a matter of time where that that uh, substance is reformed and changed and and you might call it something else you might not call it the soul anymore but it just it's not destroyed but it is reclaimed into god so origin was an early believer in the trinity and how he thought this worked was that Jesus was the soul of God, but Jesus wasn't like a normal soul, because remember, souls were evil. And so souls can choose good or evil, and so the soul of Jesus inchangeably and uncorruptibly held to the good. And so in that sense, Jesus is the soul of God, and in that way they're related. So what this gives the world is a mediator between the corrupted souls and the perfect being of God and that's in this perfection soul of Jesus is there's a halfway point an intermediator that's that allows these souls a conduit by which to return to the one when I say return to the one every time I say that that's that's the platonic concept that everything needs to remerge into the perfect perfection and so origin held to this idea that God was his perfect perfection and everything had to return to him. So that's why I use the term return to the one because it's a very platonic concept and that, that phrase is just, it's a key for this idea. But also God sends a Holy Spirit and what this Holy Spirit does is it animates people and it gives them the spiritual knowledge that they could not attain otherwise. Without the spirit, the soul is dead. The soul is totally depraved and cannot return on its own without the spiritual knowledge being imparted to it. 
So there's a lot of similarities with this imbuing of the spirit in Gnosticism where there's a special needed knowledge in order to come to perfection and to purify yourself that is not given to everyone. And uh, Origen wasn't necessarily a Gnostic in that sense where he believes that the special knowledge is only imparted to a few. But he believes that there are some people out there that just cannot receive this knowledge these are animal people. These are people that are no better than the animals of the world, and they have the amount of intellect that, like a cat would have. You can't go save a cat. But in Origins theology, a cat was a fallen being. It was fallen farther than like your normal person with intellect. But all this stuff, it would be reincorporate as these, this this fallen world, this fallen material world, it. As it purifies itself, it, it can move up through the cycles and remerge with the one. So it, hope is not lost for these animal beings. They'd eventually, in some sense, in some phase of matter, in some phase of being, they would be transformed and then be pulled back up into the one, into perfect, absolute being. So I'm briefly going to compare Augustine, Origen, and Plotinus. All three of them believed in this perfect, immutable, and partless, perfectly simple perfection, this this idea of the one, and this idea of, in Augustine and Origen's theology, the God. God is this the one in Plotinism, where it just cannot change. It's perfectly simple, perfectly immutable. There's no moving parts, nothing. And from this one, the entire material world descends. There's, there's these emanations that come from the one. So by the extent of how far things have uh, diverged from this perfect perfection, to that extent, people and animals and everything, it needs to be reclaimed into this goodness. So in Platonism, in Plotinus's theories, People had to look inward, and his life was a life of contemplation where you have to put off the material world, you have to deny your body pleasure, you have to, you know, pretty much disband yourself and try to live a spiritual life in order to rebuild yourself into this spiritual being that is not attached to the physical world. And Augustine really ran away with this idea, and he took this idea and he believed that the key to perfect knowledge was this introspection. And he did all these meditations where he would try to focus on his inward eye and, and uh, escape his physical body. And this was his way of returning to the one. Origen, on the other hand, he more pointed to you know, following the life and teaching of Christ and to understand spiritual truths through teaching. And so... He, Origen was less introspective than you would say Plotinus or Augustine, but all of it was the same goal, was this reunification with this immaterial, immutable substance, the one, a reclaiming of a fallen creation, the material world which was evil. So going back to Porphyry's claims about Origen, he saw Origen as being very vulgar. Origen would take the Bible and just try to say all the text had some spiritual special meaning. 
And to Palfrey, this would be like taking the writings of like a first grader, like a story that they wrote, and then coming to it with this idea that everything has symbolism, and then drawing out all these meanings from this text, which is just absolute nonsense. And this is Palfrey's idea of what Origen is doing to the Bible. And we see how Origen treats the Bible, and he does treat it in this way where every single thing doesn't have this face value meaning. It has this secondary meaning that is not obvious, and it's only able to be spiritually understood, and only by those with some sort of spiritual understanding that's especially imbued by the spirit of wisdom or the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read a clip from The Influence of Origin on the Young Augustine, and this will kind of give the listener an idea of how Origen just treats mundane texts. The author writes, In Origen's allegorical exegesis, perfumes and unguents are endowed with a special significance. For instance, the sweetness of sense that the Queen of Sheba gives to Solomon means the good deeds which the pagans come to Christ. And the ungent of Nard has the same meaning in Origen's second homily on the Song of Songs. Explaining the verse, my nard gave forth its fragrance. Origen cites in Matthew 26, 6, which depicts a woman who poured a highly precious ungent of nard on Jesus' head. Origen stresses that this woman was a saintly person whose example we should follow if we too want to acquire a holy reputation. The ungent of nard symbolizes our good deeds. So in Origen's theories, all the texts of the Bible had this secondary meaning, and you can't read the Bible on face value. You had to try to look for what kind of spiritual meaning was behind the text. So if you find like a list of names in the Old Testament about genealogies and stuff, it's not about genealogies. It's about something else. It's about some sort of spiritual point, and some sort of spiritual point that would fit into Origen's overall theology. And it's really important to keep in mind that Origen was incredibly popular in his day. That means that this stuff, this way of treating the Bible, this way of interpreting the Bible, it was pretty kosher for just about everyone in the ancient world where they just kind of reject the text. And they kind of just say that the text has this different meaning and it's not at all about the face value of the text. And in this way, academics, they were able to salvage Christianity, salvage Judaism, from what was considered a very vulgar and a very barbaric understanding of, you know, what the Old Testament says. So if they were forced to take the Old Testament, especially as as it is written, as it describes God, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't be Christians. And so they had to they had to mitigate the Old Testament in some way and they did it through the spiritualization of the text. So there's a Catholic professor, Charles H. Craigmile, and he gives kind of this brief of origin. And he sees Platonism as a feature of origin, that it's a good thing. And he takes from origin, and he thinks it's a good thing that origin will read the Bible in light of this Platonism. And he considers this as like a positive aspect that comes out of origin. Let's listen to him. Uh, and in a little side note, in, in, in one of the texts I was reading from Origen, he compares reading these passages to eating a walnut, where when you come across a biblical passage that's difficult or it's hard to understand what's going on, uh, he compared that to eating a walnut. Uh, it's hard on the outside, but you eventually break through 
this need for literalism, you see the spiritual truth, truth or the fruit that's on the inside. That's what this is really meant to drive you to. You're not meant to gnaw on the, the outside of the walnut. You're meant to get to what's inside. That's how he compared reading the Old and New Testament. And uh, that's true when you think about it. And the inconsistencies in the Old and New Testament should drive us to this deeper spiritual understanding uh, of the truth. So uh, we don't have time to talk about the, the factual inconsistencies uh, in the Old or New Testament. But for Origen, they, they were obvious. And, and to think that those somehow presented a problem were nonsense to him because it was about their spiritual meaning related to our salvation. So elsewhere in this lecture, Craig Meyer really gives Origen a lot of credit for innovating this type of interpretation style. So whether we know it or not, Origen has had a lasting influence on Christian theology. A lot of the same methods that he's used have been passed down and are still in use today. The spiritualization of this text, the rejection of the text, the, the changing of Old Testament themes into themes about Christology or about salvation. Those sort of things are still with us today and people readily accept and use those tools. He also talked a lot about this Neoplatonism and as I talked in a previous podcast, Neoplatonism is still alive and well in how people treat the God of the Bible with the negative attributes. These attributes, these ideas about perfect perfection and what, what it takes to be God, you know, these were all pioneered through Origen and the other church fathers, this this blend of Platonism and Christianity, which uh, ended up being the standard religion of the Roman Empire once the Roman Empire became Christian. So I hope everyone today learned a little bit about Origen, what he thought, what he believed, what his lasting influence was on Christianity, and kind of the mentality that was around around the first couple centuries A.D., the way that people thought, that's that's the important thing to get out of here. How did they think, and, and what was religion like, and what was the religious world and thought like of that time? If you like this podcast, feel free to comment on the God is Open webpage, and we also have a companion God is Open Facebook page. We'd love to host your questions. We'd love to discuss anything in this episode with you. Thank you for listening.